Our scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 17. Stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here, if you wish. I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and that they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drama tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From who do kings of the earth take tax, toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when, when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Thank you for standing with me for the reading of God's word. Thank you, Mike, for that. 
think how great thou art is one of my favorites. <laughs> so thank you as well, Wayne. Turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. Let's begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Holy Father, you are great. You are mighty. You are awesome. It is only because of your grace that we have breath. It is only because of your grace that we have salvation. It is only because of your grace that we are even sitting here right now. Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you would give us humility, that you would help us to submit to your word. Lord, not try to make scripture fit into our boxes or into our minds, but Lord, that we would have our minds transformed by your word. I pray as we look at this text today that we would grow in our faith in your word, grow in our trust in your word, and the Lord, that we would be challenged by its message. Pray us in your name. Amen. What is a contradiction? Ever heard that word? We probably used that word. What is a contradiction? Well, philosophy tells us that a contradiction is two statements that cannot be true at the same time and in the same way. For example, if I was to tell my wife that I love her and that I do not love her, that would be a contradiction, would it not? I would be contradicting myself. Now, life is full of contradictions, and oftentimes those contradictions can be quite funny. Dolly Parton once said, You'd be surprised how much it costs to look this cheap. <laughs> Yogi Berra once famously announced, I've never said most of the things I said. <laughs> Our own contradictions should come as no surprise to us. After all, we are fallen creatures, so we are rampant with our own contradictions and inconsistencies. Now, it is one thing to charge ourselves with contradictions, but what happens when we charge God with inconsistency? When it comes to Scripture, one of the most dominant arguments against the belief that Scripture is true is that it contradicts itself. Indeed, if Scripture does contradict itself, how could we possibly believe that it is true? Such a belief would be the epitome of foolishness. And if you went on Google today and looked up Bible contradictions, you will have no problem finding website after website of skeptics claiming that the Bible contradicts itself. These skeptics want to show that the Bible is inconsistent so that they can prove that it is not God's word. And therefore, they do not have to take its claims like that Jesus is the only way to heaven, they don't have to take those claims seriously. Now, I can tell you that every one of those seeming contradictions, every one of those arguments can be answered. Today, however, we will 
be able to only focus on one of these so-called contradictions. It would take many, many, many sermons to deal with all of them. We will deal with one today. The reason this so-called contradiction is so puzzling is that it is the, these two are placed right next to each other. Was the writer of Proverbs that dumb? To put contradicting statements right next to each other? Or do they not actually contradict each other at all? So if you're there in Proverbs chapter 26, let's look at verses 4 and 5 and you'll see what I'm talking about. It says, beginning in verse 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Is the Bible contradicting itself and therefore untrue? Absolutely not. What could these verses mean then? Uh, Bruce Waltke, one scholar of the book of Proverbs, explains that many Bible teachers will try to solve this issue by saying that Proverbs are not timeless or absolute truths. But as we have seen, and as Jonathan Aiken informs us, Proverbs are absolute truths. They may seem to contradict, but this is only an apparent contradiction, not a real one. When we look at these verses for what they really mean, we will see that they do not contradict each other at all. Aiken further tells us that the wise men who collected Solomon's Proverbs put these two verses together because they are meant to be read together. Together, they give us the true picture of reality, of, of, on how to discern a situation and to know when to correct a fool. So first off, we see in this passage that in, when it comes to correcting a fool, we don't stoop to the fool's level by playing his game. This is what verse 4 is telling us. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. There are some types of fools and situations where you should not rebuke, correct, confront, or answer. Wisdom is the discernment to read the person or the situation and know if that is the case. How do you know whether you should correct someone or not? If your answer to them or attempt at correction requires stooping down to their level, then avoid answering them. Tremper Longman adds that if your answer or attempt at correction will not do, it will do no, will do no good, if it will drain your energy and not get anyone anywhere, it is best to remain quiet. Uh, Jesus uses the phrase, he tells us not to cast our pearls before swine. This would be the same kind of idea. We actually already saw this in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 9 that tell us, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Now if, despite your best efforts, the person will not be corrected, then it's best to stay quiet. If you only hurt yourself by playing his game, stay quiet. There are people who will ask you questions but do not really want to hear your answers because they think that they know it all. 
Don't waste your valuable time thinking through and answering their questions, emails, text messages, or Facebook posts. I've actually come to the conclusion after many foolish encounters that trying to correct anyone on Facebook or any online platform is just a waste of time and hardly changes anyone's minds. It merely makes me into a fool with them. Proverbs 26.4, however, also teaches us not to answer, in a fo- answer a fool in a foolish way. Not just being foolish with them, but not to answer in a foolish way along with them. Waltke explains that we stoop to the fool's level by answering insult with insult. Lying, mocking, or speaking unkindly to someone to get your point across, or to bust them is a foolish way to respond to someone. Don't fight fire with fire. Otherwise, you are on the same level with the fool and you are guilty before God. As Proverbs 26 verse 1 tells us, no honor is given to the fool because he is under judgment. Do not put yourself under judgment by becoming a fool with the fool. So there are some people that you should not answer correct or engaging conversation. Do not play her game or play by his rules. If you do decide to answer them, change the rules. For example, if you're sharing the gospel with someone, you need to be able to recognize questions or, or comments that will sidetrack the conversation. Someone may ask, well, Christians have done some horrible things. Like, think about the Crusades. Why would I want to be a Christian? Perhaps the best answer to that person may be to tell them kindly that you can discuss that another day, but right now let's just focus on what Jesus did. Keep the focus on Jesus, not on denominations, obscure objections, or battles that took place a thousand years ago. Do not let people deflect their own conviction. Ultimately, what they're doing is they're feeling convicted and they don't want to, so they want to change the subject so they no longer have to feel that conviction. Don't let them deflect their own conviction or their need to deal with Jesus by getting off onto rabbit trails and unprofitable arguments. The same can be said of any type of relationship. The wise person must discern whether or not the person they are talking with actually wants an answer or just wants an argument. Don't play that game with them. You do not always have to make sure someone knows that you are right. You do not need to chime in on Facebook every time someone annoys you or says something unbiblical. There are so many times that I have thankfully avoided hitting send because I knew that what I had typed was not profitable. The wise person will avoid never-ending arguments where you feel like you have to have the last word, whether in your marriage or in other friendships. However, as Aiken rightly points out, do not use Proverbs 26.4 as an excuse to chicken out, because there is also a time to answer. It is certainly easier to step back and not engage in many situations. Most people don't like to ruffle feathers. But you can't use verse 4 as an as a, as a excuse to chicken out. 
sometimes we are called to correct a fool so that he does not think he is wise, which brings us to verse five, which says this, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. We must correct a fool so he doesn't think he is wise. Proverbs 26.5 says that there are some fools and situations that should be confronted, answered, or corrected. In those situations, we should not be passive or quiet because if we don't answer them, they'll be wise in their own eyes. And verse 12 says that that is destructive. It says, do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Letting people think they are wise when they are not is deadly. Proverbs repeatedly warns those who think they are wise that they are headed toward judgment. Letting your children run through parking lots without correcting them is foolish and it's dangerous. You should say something because you don't want to get them hit by a car. In the same way, there are people around you who have patterns of sin and foolishness in their lives that ultimately will ruin them. And God has put you in their lives to lovingly say something. They may listen right away or they may get mad at you, storm off and not speak to you for a while. But in time, they may come to realize that you were right and only said something to them because you cared for them. There are also times when others will be hurt by that person's foolishness. In those cases, you cannot stay silent and let them be led astray. Do not tolerate foolishness in such a way that others watching and listening will think that the person is right. Lovingly correct them. Show their folly without stooping to their level. If it will do that person or others good. If you remain passive, it will, it will look like you are giving your approval of their false so-called wisdom. I appreciate this further point of application from Aiken. He notes that the motivation of verse 5 is not telling you to tell someone like it is. Some people brag, I'm not unkind, I just, I just tell people like it is. No, you're a jerk. The proper motivation is for their good. If we remain passive, they might think they are smart because no one is correcting them. This is true in matters like evangelism where people might say false things about God. Or in marital issues where a coworker is giving ungodly advice to someone like, well, then get, get out of that marriage. Or in personal struggles where people just do not see things clearly. Speak up in those kind of situations. But it's also true in little matters, so-called little matters, like spending, laziness, or bad thinking on a specific subject. You will regret not speaking up when you had the chance, especially if they keep hurting themselves. So where does this idea come from? Where does discernment come from? Third today, we say that wisdom is a discernment to know when to correct. So what we see in these two verses is not a contradiction. Rather, it's calling us to have discernment in these different issues. Sometimes we need to discern whether or not someone shouldn't be answered, just to leave it alone. 
Sometimes we need to discern whether or not the situation calls for us to speak up. Here's Solomon's point in these verses. Wisdom is the discernment to read people and situations and know when to respond and when to stay silent. Wisdom is growing in the knowledge of when to correct someone and when not to correct someone. You grow in, in discerning the outcome. You come to know when answering will help him or when you are just playing his game. Daily life is filled with both of these situations and wisdom is the ability to assess them and decide what to do. Wisdom is growing in this kind of decision making, deciding whether it is best to refuse to play the fool's game with him or whether the situation demands uh, that you engage the fool. Now here's the most important part of all of this. We've seen in Proverbs that wisdom is not a thing. Wisdom is a person. Jesus Christ. So, growth in our relationship with Christ does not just mean growth in not sinning as much, although it does include that. According to Proverbs, it also means growth in discernment. Your ability to discern comes in your, as you grow in your relationship with Christ. If you do, are not able to discern... If you have trouble discerning, that means there's a problem in your relationship with Christ. You begin to know whether answering someone will get you nowhere or will help the person or others around them. This is what growing in Christ-likeness looks like. You are able to perceive motivations and outcomes. You are able to let things go and remain silent when you should. You are able to be bold and speak up when you should. Which leads us to the fourth point. The power to grow in discernment is in Christ, not in you. The power to grow in discernment is in Christ, not in you. One pastor explains about this passage. If you do not grow in this kind of discernment, it reveals that you have a problem with Jesus. You're not walking with him as you should because of some idol in your life. If you are too cowardly to confront, your idol may be self-approval or pride. If you are a jerk who loves to tell people off, your idol may be self-justification. But if you are not able to read a situation and know when to speak up or when to let it lie, you are not growing in Christ-likeness. After all, Jesus amazed people with this ability. He knew when to stay silent because a, 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 a reply would do no good. And he knew when to correct. He could read people in situations and know exactly how to respond or not respond. For example, in, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9, the Pharisees challenged Jesus because his disciples did not follow the rules of hand washing. Jesus turned around and swatted them for using their rules to justify not honoring moms and dads. He revealed their hypocrisy so that they would not be wise in their own eyes or in the eyes of the crowd. In Matthew 16, Peter foolishly rebuked Jesus concerning the cross. And Jesus answered him rather directly to confront his folly. He said, get behind me, Satan. 
Peter, what Peter was saying was satanic. So Jesus corrected him. Jesus also knew when to not play people's games. The chief priests tried to challenge Jesus' authority in the temple by asking by what authority he did what he did. Jesus knew their game. And he asked a follow-up question about John's baptism that the priest refused to answer. He refused to answer fools according to their folly, Jesus did. Matthew chapter 21, verse 27 states, So they answered Jesus, We don't know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He refused to play their game with them. Jesus also knew when people were testing him. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 17, the Pharisees sought to entrap Jesus in his words by asking him about taxes. But Matthew twenty-two eighteen 18 tells us, perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, why are you testing me, hypocrites? Jesus discerned the situation and knew how to answer about taxes, the resurrection of the dead, the greatest commandment, and about David's son. So that Matthew twenty-two forty-six tells us, no one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. Jesus knows how to read people in situations. He knows when to answer, how to answer, and when to stay silent. After all, he did not answer the Jewish leader's question at all at his trial. They asked him, are you the son of God? And he refused to answer them. He also refused to speak to Herod in Luke 23, 9. And he amazed Pilate by not answering him before he was crucified in Mark 15, 5. When it comes to discernment, I know that sounds shocking to say that not growing in discernment means you have a problem with Jesus. But here's the reality, here's the good news about this. If you stand here and you say, you know, I lack this discernment, right? I have a hard time deciding between situations and people, who I should respond to, seeing that kind of thing, having that kind of perception. I struggle with that. You know what? It's okay. That foolishness is okay because Christ died for your foolishness. Christ was wisdom for us. So that even when we fail to grow in these aspects of our relationship with Christ, he still covers it by being wisdom for us. What an amazing truth that is. So don't be discouraged by this and say, well, maybe I'm not a Christian if I can't grow in that kind of discernment. That's not the point here. It may be the point, but it's not always the point. You may be a Christian and not be growing in these areas of discernment. There's maybe something that you need to give up, some idol in your life that you need to give to the Lord and grow in that area. Some trust that we may need to give over to the Lord. Again, growth in this area of discernment does not come from my own power. It doesn't come. It's not something that comes naturally. Rather, it is something that comes from Christ as we depend on him and trust him. So, growth in Christ-likeness will mean growth in the area of discernment. Jesus will produce this in his followers. We see this in the deacon Stephen at his trial. 
the opponents could not resist Stephen's wisdom in Acts chapter 6 and verse 10. So if you are not growing in civility, here's what you need to do. Confess that to God. Repent of it and go to Jesus. Cry out to him, Lord, show me where I lack discernment. Judge me in this and give me wisdom. Your lack of discernment might be because you're not a believer and you need to trust Jesus for the very first time. It might be because you are a believer but not walking with Christ in this particular area of your life. But the answer is the same for both of these situations, for all of these situations. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't have this kind of discernment because I don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. The answer is, repent. It means to turn away from. Turn away from your life of sin. Turn away from your foolishness and trust in Christ who is wisdom for us. And not just that. He's not just some example for us. But no, he is the son of God who came down to this earth, took on humanity, and then died on a cross for your sins. So that your foolishness could be taken care of. So that it could be forgiven. Foolishness is not just some mere neutral thing. Foolishness is sin. And Christ died for that foolishness. If you're here today and you are a believer, in this area of your life, you, you struggle with this. Maybe on Facebook, you can't help but tell people what you think you have to say to them to correct them. You're constantly frustrated and trying to tell people, everybody, and trying to correct everybody's mistakes. Or maybe on the other side, when people say something that's not true or not biblical in the workplace or when somebody's giving bad advice, you just lack the boldness to be able to confront them about that. If you're a Christian and that's, and that's you, go to Jesus. Repent of that sin. Ask for him for forgiveness. As we move into this time of invitation, how do you need to respond? Do you need to come to Jesus for the first time or for the 500th time? Let's trust the Lord in these areas of our lives, in the area of discernment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word that even though it, it could appear to us in our, in our sinful minds, this looks like it's a contradiction, but no, Lord, rather what you gave us here is the complete picture. Some situations demand that we stay silent. Some situations demand that we speak up. Lord, give us the ability, the discernment to know the, the difference between the two. Lord, help us to grow in this area of our relationship with you. Lord, help me to grow in discernment. To know when to speak and when not to speak. Help each of us to learn when to speak and when not to speak. And Lord, when we do speak up, I pray that it would be words that are dripping with your word. Words that are dripping with truth and with love for them. Lord, not being a jerk, 
not being rude, but Lord, out of genuine love and concern for them as we show them and correct them. Lord, I pray that they would see that love. Lord, may that, may that even possibly be an opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, I pray you'd help us to grow in wisdom, to grow in our relationship with you, and to grow in this area of discernment. In your name.